game to Julius. Puts up a three. Bearcat Blitz time on the Believe Network. Whether you're checking us out on the YouTube page, Talking Cats with Rutz Heltman on Valley Sports Ohio. Thank you all to everybody for tuning in on the TV channel there or on podcast platforms. We can't thank you all enough for checking out Bearcat Blitz and sticking with us through some rough, rough major seasons in the sporting fields of Cincinnati. The Bearcats lose again to Houston for the 11th consecutive time. We'll touch on that, pick up the pieces, and eulogize any hopes for an at-large bid into the NCAA tournament. Then Sean Dawkins, the newest assistant coach for the Bearcats football team, will discuss the Memphis running backs coach changing roles and moving over to UC and old AAC. Foe, UC formerly faced Dawkins in their final year in the AAC and they are welcoming him on to the Scott Satterfield coaching staff. We'll close out the show with a prediction for the Kansas State matchup on Saturday. Neil Meyer joining me on this episode of Bearcat Blitz. As always, we are brought to you by Bet Online, which continues to be your number one source for all your basketball wagering needs, including pro and college hoops throughout the year. With up-to-the-minute odds, stats, and trends, you can follow your favorite team's path to the playoffs with in-game live betting contests and all the best player props. Experience the world's best wagering platform anytime from your desktop or your mobile devices. Head to Bet Online today to become part of the team and remember to use the promo code BELIEVE for your 50% welcome bonus on that first deposit. That's B L E A V. Bet Online. The game starts here. Neil, they fought a little bit at the end of the game. They ended up covering the spread 67 59, a 13 and a half point spread on the margins there. But just a similar, it feels like Groundhog Day every single every single offensive night we see out of this Bearcats team. They put up less than 70 points again. They put up another 50-piece in a Houston matchup, and it's an, another instance where this program is not close to beating Houston in a, another season. Yeah, and that's something you talked about. I think last night was the lowest amount of points that Cincinnati has scored in the first half of all season, just 17 first-half points. I mean, you look down, Houston was doing – they were competing with Houston early in the first half. I mean, I think they only held a Houston to what, Russ, 23 points in the first half? I think it was – no, 26. It was 26 because Sharp hit the three before the half. But 26 points in the first half. You had the opportunity to really solidify and cut that early deficit to – I believe it was six before the three. Then with four seconds left before the half, I just don't think you can allow that great of a look ending the half to bury the three. And I think from there – that's when momentum started going, but they were getting stops early in this one. They just weren't able to rely and compete on the other end and score buckets on the offensive side. I mean, anytime you hold Houston to 26 points in the first half, Jamal Shedd was held scoreless 0 for 7 in the first half, which Russ, I think we talked about this on the last show that Jamal Shedd wasn't going to have one of those nights where he struggled to shoot the ball like he did in the first matchup going 6 for 25 and he starts the game 0 for 7. But he impacted this game in many different ways. He had six assists in the first first half, which was crazy. But overall, just the second half. The first half struggles is what carried over this one. You shoot 26% roughly in the first half. If you can get that number to above 35%, like you shot the second half at 54, I think that's the difference maker. You win the battle of the glass, but as Houston talked about, 
Houston was Houston. They're out physicaled. Uh, the Bearcats, I thought Victor Locken was fantastic. But overall, it just seems like the Bearcats can't get over the hump versus Kelvin Sampson's Houston squad. 67-59. They outscore Houston 42-41 to in the second half. It's just, I mean, those two halves, the closing frame of TCU and the opening frame of Houston, ultimately stuck a fork in any hope of an at-large bid from this team. Those 40 minutes were pitiful, they were terrible, and they ultimately end the at-large bid hopes for the Cincinnati Bearcats. Just, I mean, I think they had 39, what do they have? 39, yeah, 39 combined points in the those two halves right there. And it's just, it's, it's brutal. It's brutal to see 42 combined points, excuse me. And I don't know, it's just, it's the same old, same old out of out of this offense, Neil. Like they did what we said they had to do in terms of making free throws at a high rate, but they didn't make enough free throws. They weren't active enough. They weren't physical enough on the inside. And then I thought Houston played bad, Neil. Like they played mm-hmm. bad in this game. They did not defend at the level that you normally see from a Houston team. Wes Miller acknowledged that in the postgame presser and just the fact that, I mean, time and time again, the roster talent on this team has fallen short of what we expected it to be shooting-wise because they were missing multiple open layups. They were missing wide-open jump shots all over the place. I mean, John Newman the third. I think something's got to be going on with him, Neil. There has to be some kind of nagging injury or something happening because he has been a non-factor over the past few games, not even close to the offensive impact that we normally see and have seen from Newman when he's healthy throughout his career. One of six from the floor in this game. And you have a three of eight performance from Daniel Skillings, just not efficient enough from him. Day-Day Thomas, not efficient enough. Two of nine outing from him. I thought, as you mentioned, the bigs played well. The bigs did what we thought they needed to do, but the backcourt play just continues to not match up when the bigs play well. It's just an, a a uh, a mixture of a bad of bad potions, so to speak, uh, each and every game for those two sides. And Victor Lockett, I thought he was the player of the game for Cincinnati. Five of six from the floor, nine rebounds, did have four personal fouls, but only one turnover, was able to hit one of his two free throws. That was great to see, Neil, and I think that's the biggest thing you can take away. When, I mean, the Bearcats covered. They covered the spread. They outperformed what oddsmakers thought that they would do in this game, but ultimately they have just not outperformed their own projections enough this year to put them in any position to make the NCAA tournament without winning the Big 12 tournament, which we know is an absolute full-fledged long shot. I haven't checked the latest Big 12 tournament odds on the sports books, but I would imagine Cincinnati is at 100 to 1 or higher to win that tournament, seeing as they would have to go five consecutive wins in a stretch over five days, five to seven days, that is, in a league where they have yet to win back-to-back games, as we have mentioned. 67-59. Neil, anything else big to take away from this one? I mean, Another 19 turnovers in the past five games, Neil. This team is averaging 16.8 turnovers per game. Not what a West Miller coach team is supposed to do historically in his career and not going to get the job done in terms of a high win rate in the Big 12 with those kind of numbers. Yeah, and that's a positive thing. I'm glad you mentioned Victor Locke, and I thought this was the performance where it could really bring that confidence back for him. Obviously, he hasn't been uh, the player he was at the beginning of the season uh, before – missing the first UCF game due to the illness. It was great to see him kind of have that bounce back performance. It was a, a lot of people were waiting for it to happen about they were questioning, Hey, when would this happen? Would this come sooner? Would this come later? 
that there's a lot of questions on if a performance like that would happen. And then he missed the last two games. He comes in, gives good minutes versus TCU. I thought it wasn't many minutes, but I thought he didn't play bad versus TCU. He comes in, makes a big impact. I thought, I mean, he didn't let Jawan Roberts bully him. And that was something that the first matchup Houston exploited very well was the mismatch between Jawan Roberts and Victor Locken. But Victor Locken, 11 points, nine rebounds. That's the performance a lot of people were expecting for Victor Locken through conference play. But th- I really, truly think that was the performance he needed to bring that confidence back through the final three games of the regular season and potentially into Big 12 tournament play. But as you talked about, Russ, turnovers continued to kill the Bearcats. I think there was that one point in the first half, Russ, I think that last segment, they had five turnovers going into that last final four-minute segment, and then they finished the first half with either 10 or 11. You just can't have that versus a very good Houston team. And Houston, I don't think they played well last night. I truly don't. They shot, what, 30% from the field roughly in the first half. I think they shot around 38% on the game. That's not that's something that's not Houston. They were getting great looks. The shots just weren't falling. And simply a lot, even Wes Miller said in the postgame press conference that some of those looks were better looks that they anticipate than they had anticipated heading into this matchup. But still have to knock some of those shots down, especially versus a good team like Houston. And you can't foul 23 times. You just can't do mm-hmm. it. You can't do it. Aziz Bandago fouls out in this one. He gets maybe the worst, the worst flagrant foul it was call. The worst. I, the I have ever, I, 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 it's not maybe it is the worst flagrant foul call I have ever seen the worst in my entire foul. life. He literally was like, like just putting his hands back to box out. It's like he wasn't, he didn't push anybody or anything. I mean, it, it was, West it was barely any out. contact. I, me personally, Russ, there was Great. a lot of acting there. Great acting by Jamal shed, but that is a typical Aziz Bandago rebound attempt. We've seen it all season, how physical he is in the paint. That was a horrible call a horrible call and a call that momentumly changed the game because it sparked an 8-0 Houston run. And in the Big 12, you just got to let that play, in my opinion. You just have to. I couldn't believe what I saw when that happened, and it was it was just nuts. But Aziz played ultimately well despite fouling out, had five rebounds, 100% from the floor. Jameel Reynolds, okay. You'd like to see – I'm wondering what – is it is it an aggressiveness issue with Jameel? Or is it an ability to get Jameel the ball in his spots issue? That's what I'm wondering here, Neil, because it's just – I really thought we might see 8 to 10, 10 to 12 shots a game out of Jameel Reynolds, working him in the low post, working him on different actions. There just hasn't been a lot of setup offense for Jameel Reynolds, and I'm anticipating that expanding in the offseason once they can kind of confirmed no, he's going to be a part of the roster for sure going into next year, but – he played decently well, one of two from the floor, four for four from the free throw line, seven rebounds, did have three fouls, but just one turnover and six total points. So you get what you needed out of that front court. You hold Jamal Shedd to two of 11 from from the field. You hold LJ Cryer to well, LJ Cryer was points, the difference maker of this one. Yeah, like he, he, he ultimately did well, and, and that didn't really held him, held him, to so to speak, there. But I don't know, man, it's just – Somebody in the backcourt has to step up. Somebody has to step up down the line here. The young point guards continue to look young. Day-Day Thomas, as I mentioned, 2 of 9 from the floor, 0 for 2 from 3. Again, he struggled. Did do a good job in this it. game, and he did a good yeah, job. Yeah, I thought high in the test with 6. Yeah, that's good to see, but Jizzle James, 3 of 9. I mean, your lead guards can't take 18 shots and hit 5 of them. Night in and night out. It just has to be better. They have to continue to grow, and I'll get more opportunities against Kansas State down the line here. But, Neil, ultimately, 
this team just does not have enough offense to punch its ticket to the dance in this league. And it was another game, one of what will ultimately, in my opinion, I don't think we're going to see him again the rest of the year, but maybe we will. C.J. Frederick has only played 15 games this year. One of the best, most effective offensive players on the team when he was able to get healthy and consistent minutes. That's just not an option for them right now. And they have no reliable three-point shooters outside of CMOS Lukosius. He has hit multiple threes in five consecutive games. No other Bearcat can say that. And he was the only Bearcat that hit a, a multiple triples on Tuesday night with Jizzle James and John Newman also hitting one three each. They're just, they're not getting enough shooting from this entire rotation to think that they can make some noise, even in the, in the big 12 tournament enough to go to the NCAA tournament. Yeah. And as you mentioned, CJ Frederick was unavailable to go for the second straight game. Uh, it sounds like it's a setback with the hamstring injury. Obviously that's what the broadcast said last night. Overall, that's not a good sign, but you got to have more production on the offensive shooting range. Outside of shooting, you got to have something. Seamus Lukosius has been willing this team from behind the three-point line this season and predominantly all season when the Bearcats need a bucket. It's either Seamus Lukosius or Dan Skillings that are taking it. But outside of that, there's got to be somebody that else can really step up and take that take that scoring responsibility. I mean, Dan Skillings was held to just, I believe, eight points last night. I think he went eight and eight. But overall, Dan Skillings had a rough shooting night. I believe he was three for nine from the field. But three of eight. overall, three of eight, you got to have more production. You just have to, especially in the Big 12. You have to have more production. This is the best basketball conference in America, but they have to find a way to get these guys shots open, get some layups or some easy shots to fall because they're missing a lot of great open looks. But in the Big 12, those are going to be the shots that kill you. If you don't, yeah. if you can't find a way to capitalize it, and we've seen that this season you convert on some of those missed opportunities early and you're looking at a different record. Yeah. And, and, and I, I commend Wes for always just, just taking the blame saying, blame me, blame me, blame me. In the end, he, he's drawing up good sets people. He's getting these players, good looks. The players are brought in to make those looks at a consistent rate. That's not happening enough right now. We'll see how many of those players, what the roster reshaping looks like in the off season, a massive, massive offseason for Wes Miller and the Bearcats. Big one ahead and an offseason in his career. You're three to year four at different stops that he has made magic happen and injected lighter fuel into the teams he has coached before. So patience, Bearcats fans, patience. I know 11 straight losses to Houston and a likely death knell for the at-large tournament chances, which as we stand today, we'll go ahead and give that as a little booter for this segment, Cincinnati's standing at 12%, 11% overall to get an at-large bid. It's uh, it's not looking good at all. Coming up, Sean Dawkins, the new assistant coach for the Bearcats on the running back side. We will discuss his impacts and, of course, tying a bow on the Bearcats' loss to Houston. A little bit more patience, people. A little bit more patience. Wes Miller has historically done very well year four and on at his respective programs, specifically looking at his run at UNC Greensboro. Neil Meyer, Russ Elman, we're back for the last 10 minutes of the show right here on Bearcat Blitz after this. Bearcat Blitz, speaking of blitzes, Sean Dawkins is going to have to teach his running backs to pick 
some of those up, specifically Corey Kiner and the rest of that new UC crew he is working with coming over from Memphis. So, Neil, looking at the coaching timeline of Sean Dawkins, he had been with Memphis from 2022 and for 2022 and the 2023 season was heading into his third season before he got plucked away by Scott Satterfield was run game coordinator at Charlotte in 2019 to 2021 was an assistant running backs coach at UT Chattanooga, Austin P state and Troy in 2014, 2017 and 2018 also was the run game coordinator and running backs coach at Murray state 2015 to 2016 did a really good job this past year coaching a all AAC first team back and Blake Watson, 1152 yards, nice average on 192 rushes per or 192 total rushes, along with 14 touchdowns. He ranked eighth nationally in the entire college realm with 17 total touchdowns on the board. So he's got a good idea about how to teach guys to work their way into the end zone, how to get the most scoring chances out of his players. And I think it's a, Another good hire on paper by Scott Satterfield as he tries to continue building this program from uh, a really tough scenario, triple threat scenario problems heading into 2023. Yeah, and Russ, this was something we talked about on the last show was when would this hire come, especially with spring ball that is getting ready to kick off here shortly. Kind of right when we thought it would happen. Yep, and this is another another hire from Scott Satterfield that, as we talked about, Russ was outside of the Appalachian State uh, family tree, basically out there that most of people know. He plucked outside of that Appalachian State tree. You get Sean Dawkins. I think this is a great hire. I mean, you watch what he was able to do with Blake or Blake Watson, an example. I mean, you look down if you're Corey Kiner, you're pretty happy to see a guy getting 17 touchdowns as a running back, and especially versus a very familiar foe. In Memphis, the Bearcats are familiar with what he has been able to do, especially during their time in the AAC together. And Watson's uh, two seasons there before the Bearcats left for the Big 12. But personally, I, I like this hire. I really do. I think this could be a, a great hire for guys like Corey Kiner, Evan Pryor, Chance Williams out of Grambling State. Yeah, I, I really like this hire. I really do. And the reason why is because he knows how to get his running backs involved. I mean, he's been a running back coach for over 15 years at all of his stops. He was a former running back at Troy University throughout his playing days. And this is a guy who's known success. He knows what it takes to run the ball in the Big 12 and high-level conferences. Obviously, through Memphis, he's, Memphis ran the, has ran the ball predominantly well for Cincinnati over the last two seasons in their matchups. And Memphis ran the ball well this season. And that was the bread and butter for Memphis, and it started there. And I think this is a great hire. I mean, it's a hire where he didn't have to go far down the road. I mean, Memphis is right down the street, and it's it's a great hire, in my opinion. Russ, we talked about that he really wanted to take the due diligence and do this process right yep. in the hiring of Tyson Vite. He did the same thing here, the exact same thing here. He wanted to explore all of his options. I'm sure there was plenty of good options, but me personally, I, I like this hire right now with spring ball getting ready to wrap up. I'm sure if you're Corey Kiner, Evan Pryor, and Chance Williams are pretty happy about what is being brought here to Cincinnati in Sean Dawkins. Interested to see how they change the run game this year with assumingly Brendan Soresby at quarterback. We're not, I mean, they're going to go through a competition, so to speak. It would take a lot of bad play for Brendan Soresby to not get that job. In my opinion, how they change the run game overall with a little bit more of a power running quarterback, as opposed to a dual threat 
kind of agile, although people would say that Emory Jones was less agile than they expected him to be, but you know, people get, get the drift that I'm picking up here. So will they mix in and still continue to use the pistol at a high rate? How will they change up the formations? Interested to see how Sean Dawkins is going to impact that. And on top of that, Neil, Corey Kiner, only five rushing touchdowns last season. Not only five. Five is a respectable number. But you see that 17 total number from Jalen Watson at that at that Memphis mark. Oh, yeah. Like you said, great, great note there about how that has to make Corey Kiner's eyes light up. And will this be able to help the Bearcats retain their top recruit in the 2025 class as of right now? It's Josiah Johnson, correct, Neil? He's their top rated right. recruit as we sit here today. So still committed. That's great news. We didn't have to come on here and talk about that at all over the last week or so. Anything about Zion Johnson decommitting, nothing has come out from that front. So that's good to see. And this gives Dawkins a chance to get right in there and get that relationship started with Johnson to be able to retain him for the 2025 recruiting class and keep this stable of running backs churning forward. And where we stand today, Neil, give a kind of look at the running back room in total. Corey Kinder is going to be your top guy. He's going to be your number one option out there. He's going to be the bell cow back, in my opinion. And then you got Evan Pryor as the kind of change of pace. Probably more, Neil, the third down, scat back, guy gets catching passes out of their backfield, moving him around the formation more, maybe putting him in, the, him in the slot some, just getting his athleticism into the action of the offense as much as possible. And then Chance Williams, I would imagine, is going to be more of that change of pace back give Kiner a bit of a breather and maybe if he pops enough he can work himself into a kind of one-two punch lightning and thunder roll with Kiner and you got Manny Kobe and Jacorian Caffey as redshirt freshman and regular freshman incoming true freshman Jacorian Caffey so I think it's a sound running back room right now and it's a running back room that Dawkins should be excited to coach and that the running back should be excited to have this coach coaching them we'll see how he impacts the uh the squad starting in the next 10 days or so we have uh, we have dates as media for when the spring practices are starting. I'm excited to get out there for those over the next couple of weeks. Quick, quick, quick preview of Kansas State coming up. Neil, Kansas State Wildcats coming to town after winning back-to-back -to -back games following a one and seven stretch in the uh in the big 12 or excuse me not one and seven they were yeah what was yeah one and seven and they're past eight before the two games they just won and the big name to watch for me in this matchup between a bearcats team and a kansas state team that is an underdog on espn's matchup predictor uc favored to win this matchup 75.2 percent of the time and they're gonna have to keep arthur kaluma off the glass and out of the free throw or three-point coffers to make sure they get a win in this one. Third leading scorer on the team, but Neil, I think he's the most dangerous offensive player out there for Kansas State. He's their best three-point shooter, taking about five a game at 37% clip, 14.9 points, averaging 7.1 total rebounds, just 2.8 turnovers, 2.1 assists as well, and almost a steal per game. He is a Nice volume three-point shooter, nice stretch wing that they like to get cooking outside. And he's a player that UC is going to have to probably guard with Dan Skillings for a lot of the game. And Dan's going to have to do a good job on him to make sure that he can't connect the offense between the front court and that great backcourt that are the leading that house the leading scorers for Kansas State. Give me the Bearcats to win this game. I think they get off the schneid and get the job done. 68 to 66. What do you got, Neil? 
Yeah, my player to watch for this one is the North Texas transfer, Tyler Perry. Point guard, veteran point guard, real good scorer, crafty with the ball in his hands. I think this is a guy who can really impact the game on many different levels. And if he can get going, it will allow Kansas State to open up Arthur Kaluma very well and allow them to play inside out. But overall, Tyler Perry can score in volumes. We have seen that. He was one of the most highly sought out transfers this past season in the transfer portal before committing to Jerome Tang and the Wildcats early in the offseason. But when he gets going, he gets going quick. And that is a player that could really impact the game. And for him, you have a matchup with Dede Thomas and Jizzle James. It's a veteran versus a rookie matchup kind of thing. Tyler Perry's played a lot of college ball, but Jizzle James and Dede Thomas will have a true test on their hands with Tyler Perry. But overall, I'm rocking with the Bearcats. I'm going to go 70 to 64, Russ. I'm going to go the same same victory per prediction as you. But the Bearcats get off the get off the losing skid and get back in the win column and trying to build some momentum heading into Big 12 Conference Tournament. More UC Hoops action this Saturday at 7 p.m. at Fifth Third Arena. For Neil Meyer, I'm Russ Elman. This has been Bearcat Blitz on the Believe Network. <laughs> Second left shot clock off four point game. Did Julius put up a three? <laughs>